Kaden PR acknowledges the traditional owners of the land that this podcast was recorded and produced on, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the East Kulin Nations. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging, and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Welcome to the Press Office with Kate and Co PR, the podcast that gives you an exclusive and unfiltered look behind the scenes of the Australian media landscape and public relations industry. I'm your host, Marissa Jane, and if you are dreaming of a career in public relations, are an aspiring journalist, or simply just obsessed with all things digital and traditional media, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the Press Office with Caden Co PR. Today I am joined by someone who really requires no introduction, Georgie Coughlin. Georgie is a TV presenter known for her reign as a panellist on the project. She's a singer, performer and owner of the award-winning boutique hotel, the Provincial Ballarat and also restaurant Lola. Georgie shares so many great insights in this chat, including how tough it was leaving a dream job and how PRs can sustain long and authentic relationships with those in the media. It's a little bit of a longer interview, so let's just get straight on into it. Okay, well, I'm a little bit chuffed by the next guest on the press office with Kate and Co PR, none other than the very beloved Georgie Coglin. Now, I'm low-key fangirling over here to chat to you today, so welcome. Oh, Brissa, that's such a lovely introduction. Very kind. I think people always sound better on paper, though, don't they? When you read out a beautiful bio, I always laugh and go, I sound amazing on paper. But I'm very chuffed that you that you wanted to chat to me, to be honest. So thank you for having me. Well, speaking of bios, and you've had a little bit of a career change recently, do you mind introducing yourself, what you do and how you got to where you are today? I always laugh when people say, you know, what do, what do you do? And I think it's such a simple question, but it's so loaded because you often, you feel like you're talking about yourself in the third person. So I, I was thinking, hmm, how would I best describe what I do? I suppose it's that I'm probably maybe well-known as a media presenter in TV, but I'm a passionate singer and performer. So I feel like that's more about what I do because that's in my bones. But I also own a boutique hotel and French restaurant in Ballarat in Victoria now with my husband. And we're about to embark on some workshops on the farm, Brene Brown style workshops. So I suppose I've also got a health and well-being hat on. And I really, I really just love being as dynamic as I can with different projects. I suppose what I do is I never do one thing. That would be the best answer. That's a very good answer. I, th- I think it's always nice to have your fingers in many different pies, but I guess what a lot of people would know you for is your career in TV. You were broadcast into the living rooms of Australians all over the country. Was TV something that you always wanted to explore? I think maybe, Marissa, it was subconsciously right back way, way, way back in in the cave of my mind. I remember growing up in Warrnambool and watching Tracy Grimshaw and Steve on the Today Show. And I remember purely subconsciously, like almost so far back thinking, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd like to do that one day. But then it just got stored back there. I didn't think about it. The way that the world molds us and affects us and makes us who we are came into play. 
And I think I just sort of forgot about it, to be honest, forgot about that dream or put it aside or maybe didn't believe that I had what it takes. So I went down a completely different path. I went, I did, I mean, I look back now and I laugh. At VCE, I did three sciences and a maths. And I think, what was I thinking? I did chemistry, biology, physics and calculus. I'm not passionate about any of those things. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I lie. I do love science. I have a very curious mind. So I tried, you know, went off to uni and did Bachelor of Science and worked out, look, I love science, but, you know, probably not as much of the people game as what I would like. So I took a year off and then I went and did teaching, which I loved the kids and everything. So I suppose what I'm saying there is no time in that area of my life did I think about TV? Did I want to have do TV? I was just completely opposite. I was always singing on the side and performing on the side, but I didn't entertain the thought of TV. And it wasn't until I saw an ad for a producer on the Today Show, or actually Channel 31, and that I thought, well, maybe I should give that a go. I'd tried musical theatre and I'd loved that. And I wanted to combine something that in, used my brain, but also used my performing skills. So I, I almost had to do the teaching first, I think, to work out that I loved that part of it. I love the curiosity and the education and I love I love using my brain. But then I thought, what, what can I do where I combine that with my performing as well? And that's what led me in, into TV. And it was, it was almost like an accidental stumble in there, Marissa. And suddenly I was on Channel 31 and working really, really hard, mind you. But I wasn't consciously going at Channel 31, right, I want to be like on a show called The Project you know, in 10 years, I just sort of kept working hard. And then I saw a job as a producer on the Today Show and became a producer. And they said to me, you're not going to be on air, Georgie. I'm like, that's fine. I just want an in and worked really, really hard as a producer. And then started, I suppose, to gather a bit of confidence and thought maybe I could try and be on air and pitch myself on air and put myself in a story. I was actually quite cheeky and naughty. Like I put myself on a story when I was just meant to be doing a producer piece. And then my bosses were like, what are you doing? You're not meant to be in it. And I'm like, I know, but I'm I'm okay, aren't I? So I also sort of pushed the boundaries a bit and gathered more and more confidence. And basically the rest is hard work uh, and history. I'm always really interested to hear what people study in university because often it is so different to where they end up. But although on paper, you know, science and what you did on TV, on the likes of the Today Show and the project seem really different. There actually is that connection. Like you said, having that curious mind, being able to interview people and actually being interested in what they have to say. 100%. And I think, I would hope when people think about me as a broadcaster, and I love broadcasting and I'm going to go back into it. I've had a nice little break with our hotel, which we can talk about later, but it is a passion of mine when it's the right team and the right intention I hope a lot of people have given me lovely feedback and said, I really enjoy your broadcasting and when you present because you ask the questions that I would have asked or you you somehow relate it to me. And see, that's my teaching. That's all my teaching coming out in me. And when we're in the meetings, I have to pick things apart. Like I'll be working with Waleed who just understands everything like that. Like Waleed's just already got it there. It's already filed. He's got five reference points. His brain is incredible. So it was wonderful working with him. I'm more of a visual learner. I need to unpack a concept. So if there was something that the federal government had announced um, and I didn't understand it, I'd be in the meeting going, hang on, can we unpack this further? Because I don't get this and I know that if I don't get it, there's going to be someone on the other side of the screen that doesn't get it as well. So I feel like that that science inquiry mind and that curiosity mind helps me, but also my teaching skills really help me because I'd constantly be thinking, I don't think the audience is understanding this. 
I don't think they're understanding what we're trying to do here. So I'd always push back to the producers going, what are we trying to, what are we trying to achieve here with this, with this segment? What, what's the end game? What's the intention? And that used to drive them, you know, crazy sometimes. But I think they always valued that in the end and thought, actually, yeah, we got a great result there because we really thought about what we wanted to do and why we're doing it. So you're right in that everything has its place in your career. And I, I just remember walking over to physics prax that used to go for five hours at Monash University on Van de Graaff's machine with static electricity and thinking, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? Like I was so uninspired. And you, for me, I had to go to that place to then realise that's okay and I'm going to achieve it and I'm not going to give up. And, it, and I developed an enormous amount of grit at university because – I wasn't going to give up. My parents had paid for me to be up at college and there's no way I was, I'm a quitter. So I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about what I didn't want to do, which is really valuable. That's really intriguing hearing about how both you and Waleed, who were sitting next to each other on the desk at the project, and you just would take a very different approach into these stories. And of course, we have to talk about the project while we're here. What was it like working for such an iconic show within the Australian media landscape? Oh, it was magical. It was so magical. I'm just so grateful that I have that in my heart and my life. And I just feel so blessed that I was so lucky to be tapped on the shoulder. Uh, Carrie was going through such a tough time in her life. She'd lost her husband and I was doing the circle and I was pregnant. And I remember they just came in one day and said, you know, could you possibly fill in because it was all very sudden and I was like oh my goodness yes it was a bit of a blur and you know I was pregnant we'd been up since five or whatever and so I was just so lucky that someone said why don't we get Georgie to do that they saw something in me for that show so the first few shows and few months I think it was hard because Carrie's so iconic in that role that I was like oh my goodness how do I carve out my own personality and my own style here when there isn't a certain element of the show that has a style when you're walking into someone. But then it was great. I just got to know what I could do and what I would offer and I sat in my own truth and it was just it was just magical. Like the amount of times I would go to, to work and not feel like it was work and laugh and laugh till I was so tired and then breaking news um, on that desk when everything goes live and working with those minds, that's what I I valued the most. I just got to work with these incredible people with these amazing minds. Like Waleed's mind's like a labyrinth that you just want to go inside and look around and go, oh, my God, this is like nothing I've ever seen before. And he's just a beautiful human being. He's just a magnificent human being. So when you go to work with people that challenge you, that push you, like really uncomfortable sometimes, pushing you to an intellectual level that you go, am I meant to be here? You know, it's that self-sabotage comes in, but that's all beautiful. It's growth and it's it's it was just a dynamic, exciting place to work and I'm so lucky that I got to do it and wet my pants laughing. I remember one, like I'd take Molly Rose sometimes and she'd be flying around on a scooter and she was everything from sort of five to eight and all of the cast knew her. We all knew each other's families, of course. And I remember one day I had to go in and do what they call a piece to camera where we're doing a little sort of... Um, pre-recorded bit that we used to insert into all the stories. They don't sort of tend to do that in the last four or five years, but we used to do it a lot in the first eight to nine years. 
and my story, while he was doing something really serious and presenting something, we just when we just filmed this, what I love to, we always just filmed this in the office. So it's almost like a, a scene in a skit out of a show called The Office. So you'd have all these producers punching away and news breaking and all the we had this um, all the, the graphic designers and the art section were amazing. They were all working away and we would just say, action, quiet, everyone, and we'd just film in the actual office. And Wally was doing this really serious piece and my job was to sit behind him pretending I was working and I'd as a prop, I'd previously, before we rolled, my producer said to me, I want you to do a massive burp and just interrupt Waleed because we were talking about like inappropriateness at um, and how you deal with maybe rude people, I think, at work. or And so he said, I really want you to do a massive burp and then just interrupt Waleed, sort of look at him and go, oh, sorry, and then keep working. So I'm sculling a huge can of Coke and Molly's sort of watching me, like watching her mum going, what is mum doing here? And then Waleed, action, Waleed does it. And I just, it was just perfect. Like I opened my mouth and this massive burp came out. Like it was so enormous and I just sort of looked at Waleed and said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I kept walking. And then we, and then, and then, <laughs> and then they said, cut. And the whole room just erupted. And, you know, my little daughter Molly's like, she was just wide-eyed going, this is mum's work. Like mum gets to burp and skull coke. And like, she, I remember she went home and her, her teacher said to me at school, oh, Georgie, it was so funny. Molly was so excited to go to your work. And she was telling me that mum had to burp in front of Waleed. And it was so, you know, and I thought that just summed up my job. Like, that's what I would do on a daily basis. I'd go there and do that fun stuff and then at night we'd be covering a really serious news story. So, so grateful, Marissa, and just I think it'll always be one of those precious chapters that just I hold so dear in my heart. And, you know, when you're in a situation that's either a, you know, when you're in like either a work situation or you're in the honeymoon phase of a relationship, whatever, and you think this is not going to last forever, so I'm just going to absorb every second of it while it lasts. That's that's the sort of job it was. I'm sure Molly was like, I just want mum's job now after <laughs> coming to work with you for a day. You did, and I think, unfortunately, I've probably given her quite an unrealistic expectation of what TV's like. I'm a bit like, sweetheart, it took mum a long time to get that gig, like a lot of other gigs that weren't as great as that. Um, but like everything, Marissa, all good things must come to an end. And I think it's also important to realize when it's time to go and when it's time to, to move on. And I'm, I often refer to a whole body experience in my career. I feel it in my body. And once I can feel it in my body, whether it's a yes or a no, that's it for me. I have to, I have to action it. I wanted to chat to you about that. Like you obviously speak so highly of your time on the project how hard was it to leave that job? Oh, it was really hard. It was a lot of reflection. I'm a big meditator. It was a lot of meditation. It was a lot of what what else can I get from this? Am I getting what I used to get from it? What more can I grow and learn from? And I'd, of course, I could have kept growing technically maybe on the job with certain elements maybe, but, you know, I'd been there for 11 years. That's a long time for me. I'm usually like a four-year person, five-year person. And it was just time. I just felt it in my body. I, I, I felt it when I'd go to go to work and I just, something had shifted. And that's all just about me. That was all just my, my experience. And the pandemic also shifted a lot of things in me. So I questioned what's next? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Intention. It's always about intention for me. Why am I doing it? What's the biggest, bigger cause here? And the question that I kept asking myself was, 
what else do I want to do? What more do I want to explore? And while you're doing that, while your pie is full with that, you can't, other things can't come in. That's how I always operate. So I knew it was time to leave that. It was, wasn't easy, but I felt so great and free and relieved when I did. When I actually put the message out on Instagram, I just felt this huge sense of relief. Um, and I just got the most beautiful energy back. I just got the most beautiful comments and I was so humbled by how I had affected the audience. And I still have people saying to me, I wish you on the project again. I wish I, I miss you. And that's the greatest compliment that people, people knew that you did it for why you wanted to do it. They knew that you were authentic. They knew that you loved the job, that you took it really seriously. It was such an honor to talk to the Australian public and and I've always been a big believer on going out in a high So I've never been. I think it's the double cat in me. I'm a Leo and I'm born in the year of the cat, I think. So cats are funny. You know, they always jump off things and they don't like muddy waters and they don't like staying right till the end. So I think, you know, and the show could potentially go on for another 10 years. It's just that it wasn't right for me. It was time for me to jump off. And looking back now, are you happy with your decision? Do you think you made the right decision at the right moment? I think life has this funny way of at any given moment, you could go left or you could go right. And it really does change the course of what the future holds. Yeah. I think as you don't, as long as you don't make, for me, as long as I don't make an emotional decision based out of anger, based out of sadness, based out of frustration, based out of disappointment, you need to be in a really good place spiritually. For me, I do, just speaking with my truth, emotionally and spiritually. If I'm really balanced and I'm still feeling it in my body, it's time to go. So my manager and I had had big conversations for like six months, back and forth and back and forth. Is it time? Is it time? Is it time? And then and then you just feel it. So I know, I know not one ounce of regret. I, and, and you know that when you're able to, like the week I, I, I announced I was leaving, you know, two days later, I'm sitting on the couch and watching the show with joy. You know, I'm not watching the show with resentment. I'm not watching the show with envy. I'm not watching the show with criticism. I'm watching it with joy going, and that's when you know you've made the right decision. Definitely. And from there, it's not like you've been sitting still and having a little rest. <laughs> no, you own your own hotel, the Provincial Ballarat, and also a restaurant, Lola Restaurant. What was this transition like? Well, this was all going on behind the scenes when I was on project. So when I first, when I was doing Carrie's maternity leave, last maternity leave, that's when we actually opened the hotel. So that was a crazy time because I'm working full time on the project um, to cover Carrie and we were opening a boutique hotel and a restaurant. So it was nuts, absolutely nuts. So while I've been doing all of this, the, the, the hotel has been an enormous part of our lives, but I suppose mentally I'd try and compartmentalize it as a side hustle to try and convince myself that. Um, everything was all right. <laughs> um, and so the hotel probably, the hotel wasn't necessarily the driver to leave the project. It was more, how do I feel about where I'm at with that show? And I wanted new, exciting things. And I wanted to return to my singing and my performing because that's my absolute passion. And I just felt like after I'd done The Masked Singer, um, I really knew standing out on that stage that this is what I miss. This is what I miss more than anything. So that Masked Singer helped me make that decision as well. It helped me go, you know what, I'm 46. I need to, if I'm going to go back to singing, I should do it now. So it was it was all of those reasons. And, and so the hotel is sort of basically just, I've been able to just give it more attention and time with my hubby and I, which has been really wonderful because it's a really joyful, it's hard work, hospitality and the pandemic, you know, it was really tough having a hospitality venue when we're in lockdown, looking after our staff. So I sort of felt like it was like mama needed to go back and do that there. And I just needed to be a bit still. 
and just check in with myself and my family and be there for our daughter who had homeschooling, be there for my husband who was trying to manage a hospitality venue. I just needed to be an anchor for myself and for my family. So that worked really well. And then I've just been, it's been really exciting the last 12, 18 months bubbling away with my performing and my singing and I've got great singing gigs coming up and I'm auditioning again and I'm looking at theatre and also looking at some new broadcasting where I do sort of short stint, shorter stint shows potentially next year. So it's been a really lovely time, Marissa, that even though it's been crazy, still doing, I've been on reception at the hotel sometimes and checking people in and I still do all the, I do all of the decor and the collaborations. I do all of the social. So it's, it's hectic. It's crazy. It's, it's a job in itself. Um, but I've really loved it. The team's amazing and it's brought my husband and I, you know, we're, we've just got through a pandemic with a hospitality venue. Like that's no mean feat. Like we both look at each other and go, working with your partner during a pandemic is tough enough as it is, but with hospitality. So we're really proud of that. We've come out so even closer despite some really tough, tough times. So everything um, everything has played out well. And now, now excited to head back into that theatre creative space and I'm writing a show and I'm really loving all that creativity bubbling up now. You sound so busy. I'm mentally exhausted just hearing you talk about what you've got going on. One thing I'd love to talk to you about is your stint on The Masked Singer. Many people didn't realise that you were a trained singer and you have a gorgeous voice. What was your decision-making process like to actually go onto that show and show that side of you that not many people knew about. Well, thanks, Marissa. It was, again, it was just a blessing. It was so much fun. And my manager and I had been working on a while, sort of like a show. How can we, we'd been talking to the network about a singing show. We'd been looking at potential being a judge on a singing show, all those things that you start to think about. Um, But the right show just hadn't come along. And, you know, a couple had come in and she'd had offers for, oh, don't do this. And, I'd, you know, I've always done, I've been very lucky now to have done four, four Carols by Candlelight with Channel 9. So some people knew I could sing and my background is also musical theatre. I did Will Rock You with Queen and, and Carousel before I went into TV. So um, people that probably knew me from that circle weren't as surprised, but we just got a little, you know, the, the, the whole phone call and email from the network saying we've got this amazing Korean show you're masked. Like it was so funny to hear it from the start before anyone's heard about this. You're masked, you go out and we're just a bit like, oh my God, because we, you know, we were the first season. This sounds, this sounds like the one. And my manager and I were like, I think this is the one. This is awesome. And so it all just, we were like, yes, yes, yes. And Tim were amazing and they really believed in me and said, you know, they knew I, what I could do. And I, would, I was also sending them all of my stuff, my recordings and performances that I'd done and demos and then everything sort of really beautifully aligned. Like I went up to Sydney. It was all Secret Squirrel. And when I got shown the monster outfit, I'm like, oh, she's so perfect. She's just beautiful. So all those little magical parts that you can't control just all fell into place. And then it was just joyful, Marissa. It was so much fun. Rob Mills and I were working together yesterday and we were laughing that the last time we'd worked together, he was wolf and I was monster and we didn't even know each other. And we were both just reflecting on how much fun that show was. And because it was the first season, there was extra magic and extra excitement because all the Australian public were like, what is this show? I don't, it's crazy, but I sort of love it. And it was beautiful. It was a beautiful way to sing because there was no judgment. 
no one knew who I was. So I could just let it rip. I didn't have to care about my what I looked like on my voice, didn't have to care about, you know what the best thing was? I didn't have to worry about what hair and makeup am I going to do? What's my image? What's my dress? None of that. I could just go out and sing. And that's my absolute passion. And I still have people that come up. I had a little lady come up the other day and she had a little boy and she said, excuse me, do you mind just meeting my son because he's a huge fan of Monster and he still watches you on YouTube? <laughs> and little boy was like, is this Monster? So that's just beautiful to get those interactions and those experiences and people that, that loved the Monster. Oh, bless. That is so cute. I honestly can't imagine getting the pitch to go on that show for the first season. I remember seeing the ads going, what is this show? What is this? Crazy, crazy. And look, it could have been, that's the thing about, that's the fear though, yeah, right? Because imagine if it just tanked and everyone was like, what a disaster. But we just, my manager's amazing and she's extremely insightful and wonderfully intuitive and wise. And we both just looked at each other and we said, this is the one, like, this is going to be great. Like, and we knew Warner Brothers were producing it with 10. I was fairly boundaried with the songs that I, I think some of the performers, maybe they, they didn't sort of use as much energy to work out what they wanted to sing. Whereas I was really from the start, if I'm going to do it, I really want to have control over the songs that I, I said that from the outset. So that was also fantastic because I got to choose all my ballads and I got to choose what works for my voice. So I think that made a huge difference too. What a way to relaunch your singing career. I love it. <laughs> it was. It was just, and it, and it was the, the main thing was, it was just fun. You know, it was just so fun. It was such a fun way to show that you could sing. We did touch on that you have a crazy life. Your day-to-day life, I can't even imagine what you need to do from a time management perspective to get everything done and tick off all those boxes. What is your typical day like? Look, it probably sounds crazier than what it than what it really is. But I do have a great toolkit because I'm not interested in burnout. I've been there before. You know, I've worked for a network once. I was working for Channel 9. I was getting up at 2.40 a.m. to start a 4 a.m. shift on news, going live at 6. Then I'd get asked to come across to the 6 p.m. newsroom bulletin. So I'd, I would have been up at 2.40 starting at 4 a.m. and then they'd ask me to do a second shift and I wouldn't finish till 6.30 that night. Like it was just crazy. And that's when you do, you burn out and you, you realise that even though that's stimulating and you think, oh my goodness, this is so good for my career. And I do think it it helped me enormously in my career. I worked so hard in a really short amount of time and proved myself that it definitely led to opportunity. So it paid off for me, but there has to be an end point because otherwise you're just going to get burnt out. So I'm very structured, very boundaried now, very boundaried. So boundaries are my best friend. So I only say yes to things that nourish me, where I feel valued, that I know the people are going to be wonderful to work with. I am not interested in working with toxic people on any level. I meditate religiously every day, always once a day. I've been a bit slack this morning, Marissa. I haven't made it yet, so I'll have to meditate up with you. But I meditate every day, which is just a game changer. If you haven't tried meditation, I really encourage you to try it. And usually I try and meditate at night as well before I go to sleep, so I'm not and the anxiety so you can get a beautiful rest. Um, I don't drink. You know, I used to be a really big drinker. I used to love my drinking and just don't drink. It doesn't serve me now mentally. It doesn't serve me for what I want to achieve in the day. I'm sort of one of those people now that thinks, oh, I missed the sunrise or I didn't get up, damn it. And I'm just not prepared to sacrifice that. I 
value exercise for mental reasons like and and I'm just interested in making sure that my time spent really well and and in a really nourishing way I only want to spend time with people and projects that bring me bring me joy and of course life's not always like that it's not this big party of joy and it's like yeah yeah life can be hard and tough of course but if you if I'm using all those other tools, I'm meditating, I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well, I love my sleep, I really prioritize, we prioritize sleep in this house. Sleep's a huge part of our lives. Like we just don't, we're just not interested in all of us being exhausted and emotional. So sleep's a big part of our household. And yeah, I think it's, I think sometimes you can do less, Marissa, I know it sounds hectic, but you can do, you can do less and it can still be just so fulfilling. Like I know you're saying to me, it sounds hectic, but it, it isn't. It isn't really. Like I'm just really selective with what I with what I do. I love that you've brought up all that health and uh, wellness elements that you bring into your day because I agree. I think they're so important. From meditation, I'm a huge exerciser again for your mental health. I think as soon as you switch exercising from thinking about physical. Um, rewards and you think about mental rewards, it completely changes your perspective on it. Uh, so yeah, that's very good advice. And I agree, avoid burnout. Burnout's not fun. And sometimes saying no means that you have so much more time for other things. Completely. And you're going to disappoint people. But whenever you're with your boundaries, think about yourself, what's worse, disappointing others or disappointing yourself? Because when you disappoint yourself, you not only feel crap after you said yes to something that you don't want to do, and then you get all the anxiety and your mental health suffers. So there are all these other unfortunate effects of you not honouring yourself. So, you know, don't betray yourself. And that can be, you know, and also know yourself. Like some, some you've got friends that might go out and drink and go out for dinner four nights a week, and that works for them. That's fine. That's great for them. But you've got to ask yourself, does that work for me? You know, or do I need to go home and reparent myself and curl up with a book, sit on the couch, have a beautiful, nourishing vegetable curry and get eight hours sleep? And then if you wake up the next morning feeling amazing because you want to get up, like that, that's working for you. So reparent yourself. Like I love always that term of reparenting yourself. Like be your own parent and go, come on now, off to bed, lots of water. What have you done? Are you tired? Have you eaten enough? Have you meditated? Come on, you reparent yourself because we've all got that little inner child that needs to be reparented. I've never heard that term before, but I am definitely including that in my life moving forward. And just a side note, you can get so much done on the weekend if you're not hungover. That's a recent life discovery I've had. (laughs) And the sleep, like the sleep of waking up at two with the sweats, and the headache and the hot and like I just can't give up the sleep. It's just beautiful. Like you go to bed and and sure, you know, if someone pulls out. We had friends came here, came to our farm the other day because we've just got a built a beautiful wood fired pizza oven. So we're testing that, and all of our friends want to come and try our pizzas. And they rocked up, and I really don't drink at all, but they had a bottle of French champagne. So of course, hello, I'm going to have. I, I was oh, okay. I'll break the rule this one time. And it was fine. But again, that night, two o'clock, I was awake. I was like, oh, here we go. You know, all the preservatives are going through me and I'm lying around in bed. And so I don't don't mind it every now and then. But as a general rule, probably 90% to 10%, I just love the clarity. And the clarity that you get, I, I journal in the mornings. I get up and do so much in the mornings before the house is up. 
and the clarity that you get, like that's really addictive. I agree. I agree. And I'm like the person that if I haven't been drinking, I tick off all my to-do list for the weekend and it's 10 a.m. ready to go, can enjoy the rest of the day. Now, in terms of your relationships with publicists, this is one thing that we touched on before we pressed record, but you've known the founder of Cadent Co PR for a long time. How do you find keeping those relationships with a publicist? Because often, you know, the relationships can be quite inauthentic with talent or producers or media and a publicist, but obviously you have relationships that are a testament totally against this. What do you find makes an authentic relationship? It's a great question. It's authenticity and it's trust. I've known Kay a long time and I have a, a handful, probably about oh, five or six publicists that are similar to her where I've just known them throughout my whole career and have stayed in a really fantastic relationship with them. It's a couple of things. It's from the get-go, it's the approach. If you send me an email with my name spelt right, when I used to be a producer, I would get, oh my God, you know, you'd get 50 emails a week from publicists trying to get segments on the Today Show. So it's from the initial pitch, really. It's person hasn't done their research, haven't checked what time you're on air, spelt your name wrong. I can tell you've copied and pasted. I mean, some people are so... Um, thoughtless that the the font of Dear Georgie will be different to the body of the rest of the email. I still got one the other day. Delete, straight away, delete, 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 delete. Because if you haven't taken the time to realise that I just look like a number to you or hi there, delete, I don't have time for that. I'm sorry. That's your job. You're meant to be a publicist. You're meant to be pitching to me and making me feel special, unique, that you've got something that you are going to offer me. And I suppose when I was in TV, what our my key role as a producer was ensuring that like, okay, Kate, let's get this segment up. Are you just on Today Show? I want to make sure you're not doing any other media What and, and you're not doing seven and you're not doing, ten, you know, 10 when I was at nine. And there'd be some that would still push the boundaries or you'd see the segment on someone else. You'd go, hey, I thought we had an agreement here. So no trust, gone. So, so in that situation, trying to be greedy and get everything and playing us sort of almost off on each other, it's just not smart. So what I love about the publicists and I'm still friends with that are so good at their job, they realise that. They, can, they said, absolutely, Georgie, this is um, I'm doing this and this. Being transparent, I've also pitched to da-da-da-da-da. And I'd go, thank you. You know, they'd just be transparent. They'd say, I'm pitching to you, but I'm being transparent, but that night I want to go on ACA and I'm also being transparent that the next day it'll be on Herald Sun. Are you happy with this? Thank you. That's fine. We can make that work because I still get that you're trying to get the maximum exposure half the time on media. Um, too pushy. Like I've said no, comes back with another email. I've said no, comes back with another email. Oh, my God, delete. Bye. So there's there's a, quite a few things. It's it's trust. I think trust and, and, and under trust comes are you respecting the boundaries that we're putting in place as our media organisation and what we want. It's delivering. Um, some publicists would tell me, oh, my goodness, when I used to do Steve Jacobs weather, yes, I'll get your colour and I'll get movement or whatever. And the morning, oh, yeah, oh, I couldn't get them. I'm like, we're about to go live. Are you telling me now that we couldn't get what you promised in the email? Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. Like, you know, and my EP's yelling at me on the phone. So there's trust gone. So understanding what you can deliver and deliver realistically you know, sometimes just generosity is lovely. Sometimes generosity is is really important. Like we'd love you to come to this event just because we really appreciate 
the working relationship we have. And then it's just a beautiful event. And you go, I just feel really special to be invited to that. And the expect when the expectations are low of you as a guest in an event, I will go above and beyond. Like if someone says to me, oh, look, if you want to post, it's fine, Georgie, there, that whatever, you just, you just do you, I'll post like there's no tomorrow. Whereas if someone says, right, so um, you need to do this, 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 and controls me, I'll be like, whoa, no thanks. And that's, what's that? That's just, what's that? That's life wisdom, isn't it? Like that's just understanding relationships. Um, so look, there, there are quite a few things packed in there, but it's authenticity, it's class, it's trust, it's, um, I mean, I've had some publicists are talking to me and they're not even talking to me. Like I'm talking and they're going, oh yeah. And they're just meanwhile scanning the room. They're not even with me. They're not even, I could say anything and I can't hear them. So it's just so many things. It's, I think it does come down to authenticity, to be honest. And the reason why Kate Keane is still flying and stronger than ever is she's such a good operator. She works so hard and her and I laugh. Like we have both in our careers, we've worked our butts off. You know, we do the long hours. We've, we're checking the emails late at night. Like we deliver. I can, I suppose reliability is what comes under trust. Can I rely on this person that they're going to do the job as well as I can for this particular event? Are they going to notice the little things? Are they going to, you know, and I host a lot of events now and I emcee a lot of events and it's the publicists that really know what to give me, know to give me the notes with enough time to ask questions, know where I'm coming from, like if I what I need. They're just amazing to work with, like, you know, and understand, they understand your role. They totally respect your role. They understand your role. So I hope that answers the question. I don't know whether there's anything else in there that you need, but, it's yeah, it's it, a lot of it is trust. A lot of it is trust. No, that definitely does answer the question. And I like the point about, you know, it's about building a genuine relationship and it not being a transaction. It's not like I can do this for you and this is what you can do for me. That's not what it's about. And and sometimes if there wasn't, so let's say there wasn't a segment that could get up on the Today Show or the project, I used to get a lot of emails about the project and I'd just be honest and come back and say, look, it, this is not going to get up. I'm so sorry, but it's just not going to get up. I'm being really honest with you. I, I have to do the same back. I have to be honest back. And I'd get these amazing pictures and I'd say, look, I'm just going to be honest. I don't think this is for the project. If I was producing this, I would go to Studio 10 or I'd be pitching to ABC Melbourne. Like I would try and help them to say, it's not just a crap idea. It's a good idea. It's just not for project. And then sometimes people would come back and say, thank you so much. That's just what, that's really honest. I really appreciate that. And then that same publicist, rather than hold a grudge or think, Ugh, bloody project and Georgie and whatever, which some do, you know, you might just get, it doesn't need, you don't need anything at all. But then some of those classy people would send you just a beautiful little, next time they had a product that they were sending out to everyone, they would just send you it with no strings attached and say, hey, Georgie, hope you enjoy this. And you're like, I don't need the product. I get, I don't need that stuff, but gee, that's thoughtful. And that's so lovely. And that shows me that that person's not holding grudges and that they're still got a really great understanding of their, of their different clients and contacts and relationships, you know, that those relationships, that's all that it comes down to that beautiful relationship with someone. And when you have that 
great relationship with someone too. I've always found that some of my best stories in PR have come from me, you know, picking up the phone to a contact and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Can I workshop this idea with you? How can I make this work for you? I'm thinking about this talent, this talent or this talent. Who do you think is like the most media worthy or whatnot? And actually having that open dialogue helps you then get the best results for your client. 100%. And and I think you've made a really good point there, Marissa, that pick up the phone. It just doesn't happen these days. <laughs> have a conversation. Like emails are great, but have a conversation. Pick up the phone. I mean, we were hammered when we worked at Today Show as producers. Pick up the phone, pick up the phone, pick up the phone. And you see so many producers now that just email and don't, oh, I emailed them. Like I'd go in and I'd say, have we called this? Have we called this? Have we called them? Are we calling these guys? And I'd often get back from a certain people or generation. Yeah, I've emailed them. No, 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 no. I didn't ask you that. Have you called them? Have you spoken to them? Oh, no, but I've sent them an email. Can you pick up the phone? Pick up the phone. Like it was really interesting. I know it's generational because of, of technology. I do know that. Like we, at our hotel, we don't ring staff if they don't turn up for a shift or we don't ring them back. Everything's text, everything's WhatsApp, everything is. I get that, but I'm trying to teach them the value of a conversation, like what you get from an actual conversation. You pick up nuance, you pick up feelings, you, like you get so much from a conversation on the phone or person to person that you just can't get when you're texting and you're emailing. It's so interesting. Us Gen Zs are definitely scared of the phone call. <laughs> Oh my God, if I do, like you freak out. I watch them and they go, like, I watch you guys and you go, oh, someone's calling me. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not picking that up. I don't know that number. I'm like, but what if it, it could be an amazing opportunity? Of course, it could be you know, a telemarketer as well, but you can just politely decline. But yeah, it's so funny the amount of people don't like to talk on the phone. I know. It, it is really interesting. I, I think it did at the start of my career take me a while to get used to a phone call, warm up to a phone call, but God, you can get stuff done a lot faster. <laughs> so much faster. And you can just cut to the chase and you can, oh, it's just so, so productive. I agree. Well, I have had such a lovely time chatting to you, but I have five final quick fire questions for you. Are you ready? I love a quick fire. Okay, let's go. Coffee or tea and how do you take it? Tea, terribly addicted to tea. I have about eight a day. I'm already on about my sixth here. I have it weak with heaps of milk. And as Peter Heller used to say to me, like milky water, Georgie. There's You're not even having a tea there, but that's how I like it. That's fine. That's fine. If that's what floats your boat, then you do that. <laughs> you, you, you do you, boo. Exactly. Emails or phone calls? I think I already know the answer to this one. Phone calls? Look, I, I do love email. Email is fabulous. Like you can sit here all day and be whatever. But if you really want to make something happen, I think it's a phone call. What is your screen time? Or be probably three hours, three hours a day. I'm trying to cut it down. I'm getting better. It, it does depend on the weather. If if the if it's beautiful here at the farm, it'll be not even 30 minutes because I'll be outside with the horses, I'll be in the garden. But this weather at the moment I find is terrible because you just end up on your screens. And what is your most used app? The Chopra app for meditation. I use that every single day, morning and night. It's fabulous. Highly recommend it. That is a great recommendation. And my final question for you, what is your typical day in media consumption? I'm just about to cancel my Twitter account. So I'm not happy with Elon Musk. 
and I'm not happy with the decisions that he's making and I'm just finding it more and more toxic every day. So I used to check Twitter in the mornings to get a quick um, update of news. So I'll be stopping that because I'm just not enjoying it anymore. I think it's just become a bit of a cesspool and of negativity and I've just made the big decision of that's just not working for me mentally. So that's going to be cancelled, but that would normally be where I'd go for my news to get a quick quick scroll and update of because I follow mainly journalists there. Um, so I, I try, I'm trying to move now of not checking the phone in the first hour of waking because I'm looking at the research and just an article yesterday that that just completely changes your outlook, your mood, when you're just connecting to news as the first thing that you do in the morning. It's predominantly negative. So I get up, do my meditation, connect with the family, whatever, and then after all of school drop-off, I will check headlines. So I'll check the age online. Um, I love checking the New York Times online. And other than that, I'm a big podcaster. So I listen to ABC News Daily, which is a lovely, you know, eight to ten minute wrap. I'll listen to 7 a.m. That's a great little seven or eight minute rap as well. And I'm a huge fan of the Pivot podcast in America, which are two tech journos, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. So I'm more of a I'm more of a daily podcaster because that's how I love to ingest my news. And um and I'll and school drop off, I'm I'm always straight away seven seven four Virginia Trioli. So I'm more of a radio person and a podcaster. I'm really moving away from digesting online and Twitter and all that. I just finding it so negative for mental health. Mm, there's some really great news podcasts too at the moment that are so short and sharp, like the ABC mm. seven to eight minutes. Great. It's perfect. And it just grabs the biggest news of the day and breaks it down. And I love their presenters. And 7am is another great one. I, I really love it. it. They're very different in the way that they present the news and they often have very different topics. But I love just focusing on that. I'll listen to the headlines on ABC Radio. Then I'm done. I mean, I've done news for 25 years and I'm I'm getting to my, my news diet threshold now is like I can't take a lot of that. So I'm like, I'm really discerning with my news diet because it has such a direct correlation to me for mental health. It's just so negative. So fair enough. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Georgie. I really, really appreciate your time. Oh, I've had such fun, Marissa. Thank you for thinking of me and I'm so thrilled to be on the podcast. Thank you for listening to The Press Office with Kate and Co PR. Please subscribe, rate and review via your favourite podcast app and please give us a follow, like and share on Instagram at Kate Co PR.